0: And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church.
1: I want us to pray over his word. Thank you, Brother Williams, this morning. Bible lesson, help us to draw closer to him. Amen. Let's pray over his word this morning. I want to take just a few moments and share something I feel the Lord has laid on my heart for this day. Amen. Let's just ask God to touch his word to our heart. We love you today. Thank you for the privilege to know you and the power of your might. Thank you for the strength, the validity, and the foundation of your word. Help us to commit it to our heart and lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you, and you can be seated. What a privilege it is to have all of you in the house of the Lord with us today. And and, uh, I don't take for granted that you're with us just now. I want to turn your attention this morning to the, the third chapter of the book of Judges. And um, if you'll just open your Bibles to Judges 3. And we're just going to just take a journey down through this, a few passages of scripture here. And if the Lord will just give me the strength today to convey the ability to convey what I feel like he's laid on my heart. From the book of Judges 3. Judges is a history book and it deals with Israel as they are settling into the land of Canaan. And it's a very interesting book. I know that sometimes we get lost a little bit in some of the Old Testament books, but it's a very interesting book. But there are certain passages of scripture that hold truths that we really need to consider valuable and fundamental. I believe there's a lot of principles that we can have shared with us. The period of the book of Judges is really a time where it's sort of confusing if you think about it in the big picture. For instance, the book of Judges 17 and 16, the Bible says, In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So that that one... Scripture kind of seems like a national freedom statement. <laughs> we could just do whatever we want to do. It's an, To the unsuspecting reader, it can just seem like it's laced with a wonderful sense of liberty. In the In the day of judges, there was no king, and so every man did that which was right in their own eyes. There were no rules, there were no regulations, no fences, no guidelines, just one big happy family. And so if we were just to kind of take a razor knife and cut that one scripture out. That's sort of the impression we could get left with. However, it becomes apparent that this is anything but true. Because during this same book of Judges, this same time frame, whenever the conditions of life and the conditions of leadership became intolerable, the people would cry out to God and God would raise them up a judge to deliver his people from the hands of the enemy, whoever the enemy happened to be at that time. And so as you read through the book of Judges, you can see where things were okay and then things would run off the rails and people would cry unto the Lord. and The Lord would raise up another judge and somebody would come in and they would do things that were seemingly right. And, uh, and then, but if you just continue to read, even though some of those periods were Decades, sometimes 40 years or sometimes 80 years We understand that in time everything began to digress again Unlike Moses when he appointed Joshua to lead Israel The judges did not have the same authority to announce or to appoint a successor And so when God called people to serve as judges They would obey that call They would do his work But in time they would pass from the scene And they would only hope, like you and I, that their godly influence, those that were godly, they would only hope that their godly influence would make a lasting difference in the spiritual climate of the nation. But that wasn't the case because you don't have to read very far before things go awry again. So no sooner was a judge removed from the scene than people began to go right back to worshiping Baal and forsaking the Lord and just kind of digress right back to their... Right back to their old ways. But you would think, if we're thinking of, if we're talking about in the center of our story as the children of Israel, you would think that after all the things the Lord had done for Israel, that just gratitude alone would have been enough to just hold things in check and to obey the Lord and to be faithful to the Lord, to think of all the things that the Lord had done for Israel in the past. Well, they would have perished in Egypt had it not been. For God that raised them up a deliverer, just a boy, just a child, an infant named Moses that was spared in the Nile River. And if you know the story of Moses. What a fascinating story. This was nothing but God. That not only did they, did, did God provide them a deliverer, but the Lord allowed that deliverer to be raised in the king's house. And, uh, and by the king's daughter. They would have died on the battlefields of Canaan if the Lord had not given them victory over their enemies and they most certainly would have been wallowing in immorality if the Lord had not given him them his law and then priests to teach that law to them. They had God's presence in the tabernacle, and they had God's covenant in the in they had God's promises rather in the covenant. And so we could sit back and think, what more could they want? God had delivered them and he had kept his hand on them, but despite all of these facts, the system broke down. I think the broken link, if we were to trace it all down, and that's not my intention today, but I do believe that 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 broken link could be found in the lives of two categories of people, and that would be the priest and the parents. Amen. I think every parent should think about this today. That broken link between the priest and the parents, the priest and the Levites, were not only to officiate in the tabernacle, but they were also to teach the law to the people and encourage them to obey it. The priests were taught by the Lord that you should read his law and meditate in that law both day and night. You have no greater responsibility today than just to study the law so that you can teach the law. You have no more pressing anything on your agenda than to just hide this word in your heart and then commit that word into the hearts of other people. But also the Jewish parents were expected to teach their children the ways of the Lord. Just read Deuteronomy six. I mean, it's not a slight suggestion that you need to talk about it when you rise up and you need to talk about it when you lay down. It needs to be bound as frontlets before your eyes. We need to write it on the post of our home. When we're sitting in the house, when you're walking by the way, you need to talk about the good things of the Lord. Can I tell you today that if the only time the preacher's preaching is on Sunday or Wednesday when they're holding the microphone, we're all in trouble. And if the only time the parents are talking about the things of God, it's when we're getting in the house of God, we're going to be in trouble again. Amen. We need to make sure that the link of the priesthood and the link of parenthood does not become broken. And so whatever may go unsaid from this pulpit, it ought to be heralded in your home. And whatever goes unsaid in your home, it ought to be heralded from the pulpit. There should be a, there should be a cohesiveness between the two. During the period of Judges, it appears that the older generation neglected to instruct the new generation about the fear of the Lord. And there's a lot that's said about that in Scripture. Even in the New Testament, it talks about that the younger should be teaching the older and how important those things are. The book of Judges is a history lesson on Judges. And so in Israel's sin, God always used the nations around them. He used the nations around them as a weapon, if you please, to bring a rod of correction to them. And so there's many stories that we could talk about from the book of Judges. And there's many things we can actually talk about from the third chapter of the book of Judges. But I want to focus our attention this morning. I want to focus our attention on the second judge that's found in Judges 3. And that is a man by the name of Ehud. We read about him in Judges 3 and you can begin around verse number 11 and you can read the fulfillment of his story down through about verse number 26. And so as Ehud's story is introduced, we see that Israel's evil ways led them to once again an enemy taken over. And that enemy was a man by the name of Eglon and the Bible calls him the king of Moab Sometimes in scripture we are introduced to people and we know very little about them. We, we may get a name. We don't really have a physical description of them. We don't know uh, a whole lot about them. Some characters in the scripture are nameless and they're faceless. The Bible talks about a man, a certain man that drew a bow at Venture. and We don't know anything about him if he was tall or if he was short. We don't know the color of his skin or his eyes. We know in, nothing about him. So many things are left undone. And then there are others like Eglon. They are described in graphic and great detail. And this is what we know about the king of Eglon. The Bible says that, and I'm just using the scripture today now, not want to be offensive, but the Bible says he was a very fat man. He was an overweight man. He was an overweight king. We also know that he ruled over the Moabites for 18 years. We know that he crossed Jordan and he took the city Judges 3 refers to it as the city of Palms. That city of Palms, we know it otherwise by the city of Jericho. We read about that in Joshua. But in the midst of all of this oppression, here is the children of Israel that cry out to God, and they say, Lord, send us a deliverer. We need a deliverer because Eglon's hands had become heavy, and his rulership had become fierce. And so after 18 years, they cried out, and ask God to send them a deliverer. And the Bible says in Judges 3 and 15, And when the children of Israel cried unto the Lord, the Lord raised them up a deliverer, Ehud, the son of Jira, or Gerah, a Benjamite, a man left-handed. And by him the children of Israel sent a present to Eglon, the king of Moab. Now the notice that the Bible says that Ehud, here's a man we don't know a whole lot about him, But right out of the gate, we are introduced to him as being a man left-handed. And so all the left-handed people, just keep a good spirit today. Amen. Because we're going to be talking about this in a different light, perhaps, than you're thinking about. Ehud came from the tribe of Benjamin. And so it would not be unusual at all for people in the tribe of Benjamin to be left-handed. That just seemed to be one of the characteristics, not of all but of many people in the tribe of, uh, in the tribe of Benjamin, and they were left-handed. As a matter of fact, in the book of Judges chapter 20, we can read a very interesting scripture. In verse number 16, the Bible talks about that there were, uh, that there were 700 men, warring men. There were 700 chosen men, the Bible says, who were left-handed. And everyone could sling a stone at an hairbreadth and not miss. I mean, that's pretty good. I don't care which which hand you use. That's pretty good if you can cast a stone with a sling and not even miss a hair grit. So, So it, there seems to be more to the story because we're talking about a man left-handed. And so when you study the life of Ehud, you would realize that he was not just a man that was left-handed in the sense that we think of someone being left-handed but really that text would read that Ehud was a man that was restricted in his right arm. It's very possible that Ehud uh, was a man that was wounded or either perhaps with a birth defect and unable to use his right arm. And so that would mark him automatically. That would tag him as a non-warring man. Even today, there are certain standards that, that both men and women would have to qualify or meet just to serve in our nation's military or in other militaries around the world for that matter. And so his handicap, his infirmity would automatically just make him a non-warrior. And that non-warrior status gave him a certain atmosphere or gave him rather a certain, uh, created a certain atmosphere that God was sure to use. But something that's very important to understand is this, is that the Lord chose Ehud as he was. It wasn't like the Lord chose Ehud and all of a sudden Ehud shows up for work that day and said, uh, somebody told me that you called and he shows up and there's something wrong with his right arm and the Lord says, ooh, I'm hmm, not sure we're gonna be able to do this. The Lord chose him as he was. He knew all about this left-handed situation. God saw something that we might consider a hindrance, or maybe he thought it's a hindrance, but God said, "I'm, I'm gonna use this situation, and I'm gonna use this as an asset. I mean, without an infirmity, Ehud would have never been able to gain some of the access that God was setting him up for. And we look in Judges 3 and and verses 16 through about 26 goes into great detail about not only a well-planned, but a well-timed assault. He made a dagger, according to Scripture, that had two edges, a cubic length or about 18 inches long. And then the Bible says, note this, that here's a man that can't use his right arm. He's left-handed. And so the Bible says that he strapped this dagger under his garment to his right thigh, and then he brings a present to Eglon. And, and when he made an end to offer the present, he sent away the people that helped him bear the present. You know, we think about presents today. We've got them boiled all the way down to a gift card. And that's not nothing wrong with that. But we've got it boiled down to a gift card or, or just a box or a package. And I'm, I'm not speaking ill about that, but I'm talking about in Bible times when somebody brought a leader, a king a king or a leader, when they brought them a gift, I mean, this was something to see. This was almost a parade of sorts. Right. They would bring them animals and gold and silver and furs and just all manner of things. And so it took a host of people to bring what they were bringing to Eglon. And so when the Bible says that when he had brought and presented this gift that he sent away, All the people that bear the present, he sent away all the help when they got there, get everything situated, and he just turned around and says, Thank you, gentlemen, for your service, and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. He sent them away. But he stayed with Eglon, and he told him, he said, I've got a secret message from the Lord to share with you. I didn't just bring you gifts. I didn't just bring you tangible items, but God has given me a message to share with you. And it was the point, it was at this point in the story that everything changes. If you've read this story, you know where I'm going. The Bible says something interesting here, that when Eglon, or when Ehud told him, I've got a message from the Lord, he said, Right then, out loud, keep silent. I mean, they. He, this, this is coming together like a. I mean, this plan. This is the plan of all plans. He says, "Keep silent because Eglon, all the gifts. And I don't want to get ahead of myself, but all these gifts were appealing to his ego." They were just confirming what he already thought about himself. I must be really something. I want you to look at all these gifts these people are bringing, and now this man has a private word from the Lord. He said, "You just keep silent. I don't want anybody to hear this. But I'm just my, this is my ears only." And the Bible says that all them that stood by him went out from him. Now that's a a little bit of a tongue twister, but that is a key verse in this story. All that stood by him went out from him. I want you to remember that, if you will. You're going to be tested on that a little bit later. Amen. Then the scripture says that Ehud came to the king, and while he was sitting alone in the summer parlor. I really hope I'm doing justice by painting this word picture in your mind. When Ehud said, I have a message from God unto thee, when he said this, the Bible says that Eglon rose out of his seat and in that instant things rapidly spiraled out of control because Ehud, this left-handed man, Amen. The Bible says he reached down and took the dagger from his right thigh. Everything is right position where it ought to be. And the Bible says he thrust it into his belly. Now the Bible gives some pretty gory details here. It says that the haft of this, of this dagger or this sword went in after the blade and that the fat closed on the blade so that he could not even draw that sword out. He couldn't pull that dagger back out of him. And the scripture says that the dirt came out. Amen. This was a horrible scene, a horrific scene. Amen. In a split second, the king was dead. I'm talking about today an unlikely hero, an unlikely deliverer. Here's a man that's lame or or, or maimed in his arm, but God said, I want to take you just as you are because I've got a mission that really and truly nobody else in this world can do what you're about to do. Amen. Then we watch what happens. Ehud, the Bible says he ran through the porch and he shut the parlor doors and he locked them. He had killed their leader. And he had made a clean escape. Who could have put together such a plan? If we could divide this particular story this morning into two scenes, here's what you would have. You would have the story that I just shared with you. All of this is taking place on one side of the door. I mean, some unthinkable things are taking place on the other side of the door. Amen. And, 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 and then yet on the other side of the door, there are some things that I think we should consider. And really in many ways, that's the point of my message today. When he was gone out, the Bible says, in time his servants came. And they saw that the parlor doors were locked. And, 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 and they made a dangerous assumption right here. They said, surely he covereth his feet in the summer chamber and then they, the Bible says something very curious to me. It says they tarried until they were ashamed. And so here is this man, one-armed man, if I would say so this morning, that came in, and they're thinking, what could possibly go wrong? What could possibly go wrong? It's okay. He's told us to leave. He's told us to go behind. He's shut the doors. He's got a private thing going on. But you see, they should have never, never separated themselves from the one that they were there to serve and the one they were there to protect And the Bible says, while they tarried, he had killed their leader and escaped. But then somewhere, if you continue to read, they had a key to that door, oddly enough. And they took the key to that door and opened the door. And the Bible says, behold, their Lord was fallen down dead on the earth. I'll just pardon my reference here, but this sounds like a script that you could only find in a thriller movie. Right? I mean, just one thing after the other. I mean, you're just watching every bend, every turn. The Israelites had sent Ehud with a gift to Eglon. The setting gave him the opportunity to carry out a very, very risky uh, scheme. In those days, it was customary, as I mentioned, to make these lavish ceremonies of gifts. This wasn't just about bringing in a a little cupcake with a candle. These were lavish lavish moments, and so consider the scheme that Ehud was to carry out. He He had to prepare himself for this. This took planning, this took preparation. He had to know how long this dagger needs to be if it's gonna be effective against a man this size, but I've also gotta consider how I'm gonna get this dagger in this meeting. He had to have a weapon that was large enough to do the job, but still small enough to conceal. He also had to have a plan how Can I have a private meeting with this man? There is unheard of. You can't get in and just talk to somebody and everybody walk out of the room. I mean, what are we? How are we going to set up this moment? And the Bible says that when they got in and gave the gifts, the Ehud and this was the first part of the plan. He looked at the men that were with him and said, "You may be dismissed. You can go." And it kind of sends a message that everything is okay. And then he said, "I've got this secret message, and it's a message from God." That's what I. I've got to tell you. He was flattered of Ehud's willingness to share this confidential information. He's got a word from the Lord. And in a moment of lapsed judgment, he ordered everybody to leave. He was oblivious to the danger that was right across from him. Ehud, admittedly, I would say, admittedly, that Ehud is somewhat of a controversial character in scripture. Certainly, uh, many people have questioned his actions. But we understand this, that he was delivering God's people from the heavy hand of Moab. Whether you agree with the pattern or the, whether you agree with the style or a system, but the Bible says in verse number 15 that when the people cried out, God raised them up a deliverer. Amen. That's how the scripture refers to this man, Israel's deliverer. As I stated earlier, there are many things that could be said But there are some things that we ought to take away from this story. I want to just mention a couple of them today. Amen, I think that one thing if we were to just meet Ehud on the street, one of the things that might come to our mind would be his limitations. And you know what people face today whenever we're talking about being used of the Lord and doing something for God and making ourselves available for God, the very first thing that we look at are our limitations, the things that we can't do. We would never be able to do this. We would never be able to do that. We think about, it's been taught on recently, we think about the one talent person. Person, the five, the two-talent person, the five-talent person. But here's the bottom line. Everybody had a talent. Everybody had a gift. Everybody had something that they could bring to the table. And so, Ehud, do you have limitations? Yes, I have limitations. But do you know what? God wasn't just going to try to use him despite that. Amen. God said, I'm going to take your limitations and I'm going to make it that you are the only man on the planet that could pull this off. You're the only one, that limb that's of no use, that limb that is of no value, that's going to relax everybody in the room. God said, I'm going to take who you're not. I'm going to take what you don't have. I'm going to take what you don't possess and I'm going to give you some strength. I'm going to give you a mind. I'm going to give you the courage and I just want to reach out and tell somebody today that you've listened to the devil long enough trying to convince you of what you're not and what you don't possess. Amen, I'm not here today to tell you that we ought to measure ourselves against ourselves the Bible says a man that does that is a foolish man I'm not trying to be as talented as you are, as gifted as you Amen. if I've got something wrong if there's a defect in me if there's something that I'll never be able to have God said I'll take what's left I've got what you I'll take what you have left over and I'll use you to the glory of my name hallelujah I'm going to tell you that God didn't make Ehud a water bearer. God didn't make Ehud just a wise man on the corner. God made this crippled man he, man, he was an unlikely hero. Verse 15 said he is the Israel's deliverer. He delivered a nation of people. He delivered a nation of people with all of his infirmities, with all of his ills. God said, I'll take what you're not. And I'll use this as the perfect storm. (laughs) This is the perfect setting. Amen. Thinking that we're not good enough often causes us to keep ourselves from offering anything to God. Amen. (laughs) God's ability to use us should raise our expectations. When we recognize our weaknesses, I think we should just say, Lord, I'm gonna turn this over to you. I'm going to turn this weakness over to you. I'm going to turn this limitation over to you. One missionary was quoted as saying this, God chose me because I was weak enough to do his will. Oh, amen. God chose me because I was weak enough. And we think we got to, we got to be strong enough. But they understood God chose me because I was weak in all the right areas. I realize this story has some gruesome details and I don't like to share things just for shock value. But I do believe that we need to understand that Ehud's actions saved Israel from a cruel enemy oppression. And Ehud recognized that this is war. I mean, we read all that. I mean, the, the dagger goes in, his belly closes over the haft and it's stuck in. We think, oh, how cruel. Hey, this is war. We're talking about trying to save a nation. We're talking about a man that's trying to do the very opposite of the will of God. Ehud recognized that this is war and war is cruel and war can be brutal. Amen. We learned something else about Ehud. God used one man to motivate an entire army. Amen. To defeat the Moabites. He used one man. One man took out that, that leader, that judge, the king of Moab, and it ignited a fire in the hearts of all of those around them. This unlikely hero. Amen. We hear a lot today about evil influences upon many things in our world and no one could deny the truth of that. Evil influences are everywhere. Amen. Let me just talk to you just a moment. Those evil influences are in the magazines on the shelf. Those evil influences are in the newspaper. Those evil influences are on the internet. Those evil influences are on the television. Amen. It's not just the program it's not just a particular program there are evil influences in the commercials there's evil influences in advertisement and so we can take take that train of thought and say because evil is everywhere we need to take our Bible and lock ourselves in a closet and suck our thumb or either we can say you know what if one person can influence somebody for evil I wonder the power of one person to influence somebody for good hallelujah Amen. I'm going to tell you that influence is influence. And if somebody can influence you to sin and live wrong, I believe somebody else can influence you to live right. Amen. And to serve God every day. If one person can have an evil influence, then one person can have a spiritual influence. Hallelujah. I believe one person could say, you know what? I'm tired of having dead church and so I'm going to influence a dead church into a living church. I'm tired of having a prayerless life and so I'm going to influence I'm going to influence my family to be a family of prayer. If God if God can just use one person, he can influence the power of praise and the power of worship because influence is influence. Influence is influence. So let's just quit giving the keys of influence to hell. We ought to quit giving the keys to influence to the devil. We ought to stop giving the keys of influence to sinners and realize the church has got influence as well. Oh my goodness. Amen. I'll tell you i will tell you one thing that's holding this trumpet from sounding right now. It's C H U R C H, the church. Amen. It is the church. It's what we're doing right now. Amen. We are Abraham with God saying if there be 50, if there be 40, if there be 30, if there be 20. Amen. You know what we're doing here today? Amen. We're saying we realize we're unlikely heroes. We realize, Lord, that nobody may look us up when they're trying to find somebody heroic. Nobody may think of us or call our name. Nobody even may mention this church if they're thinking about. About movers and shakers But I'll tell you what we're doing We may be an unlikely hero But we're here today saying hey Oh Lord what if there's just five? Oh, what if there's just ten We're here today Lord saying what if there's just one more Oh give us one more service To give somebody a chance to pray Give us one more chance Oh God that somebody would repent One more opportunity for somebody To go down in a watery grave Of baptism in Jesus name Hallelujah Oh, unlikely heroes. Unlikely heroes. Amen. I don't know what that right arm looked like. I don't know if it was drawn up. I don't know if it was wrapped up. I don't know if it was just swinging freely. But I'm going to tell you that when he walked around, nobody said, well, there goes a hero. We need a deliverer. Oh, have you ever heard of Ehud? Somebody said, well, don't you know? You remember about that accident don't you don't you know but the Lord said I'm gonna raise you up and deliver (laughs) who 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 is it Lord is it gonna be another Saul that's gonna stand head and shoulders taller is it going to be another Saul that's a leader of leaders? Is it going to be another man like Moses? Is it going to be another Noah that won't be dissuaded by a century of building? No. Here comes, here comes Ehud. Ehud? Are you sure? Are you sure about this? Amen. I realize, you know, I ask our musicians to come. I realize that there are two main characters at the center of this story. Also, the centerpiece of all of this is bound bound up in the fact that what even started this is that Israel needed to deliver. However, for the sake of an illustration, I want to go back to what I warned you about being graded on a while ago. One critical moment when Eglon, the king, sent away his servants. You can leave. You can go now. That one critical moment when Eglon said enough, you've hung around enough. And the Bible said they sent them away and locked the door. And that's when something started unfolding over here on this side of the door. They could not have imagined what was going to happen when that door was pushed in. There's no way someone would said, you know what I think what's going to happen. Somebody said, no, you've lost your mind. You've lost your mind. But this could have all been prevented if they had not been asked to leave. This same scenario takes place, I would submit to you today, week in and week out in churches all around the world and across our nation. And this church is no exception. People lock the voices that are served to protect them out of their life. Amen. I don't talk to you today about what I suppose. I'm talking to you today about what I know. Whether it's me or other ministers in our church or other guest ministers, the sounding of the alarm goes out and people get up and walk out completely unchanged. I'm not just talking about sinner folk. Unchanged. I want to do whatever I want to do. Amen. Voices that were served, that, that served to warn. Voices that served to protect. Voices that served to instruct. Can I tell you, voices that care enough to say something but they've been locked out. Warning sound from pulpits over and over and over and over again, but they go unheeded, much like Israel. When they were doing what was right in their own eyes, amen, everything was fun till it wasn't. Everything was leisurely and everything was still working out okay until it wasn't. And then Israel would cry out again. Amen. And you know what? At some point, ladies and gentlemen, we got to get off the merry-go-round and get off the seesaw of just doing whatever you want to do until life falls apart. And then run to an altar and then make church attendance a priority and then make praise and worship a priority and then engage yourself. Many times, many times, many times, your previous actions have led to an unbelievable, unbelievable set of circumstances that no one can untangle this, this web. When it all could have been perhaps prevented. Amen. The Bible says that they tarried until they were ashamed. I want to tell you this morning, don't wait till it's too late to give God place in your life. Don't wait until it's too late to give the voice of God or the voice of a man of God place in your life. Amen. If the Lord loves us enough to send a deliver, if the Lord loves us enough to send a message to our way, we shouldn't brush that aside and say, well, I'll get around to that another day. If the Lord loved me enough to show up on my doorstep. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. I want to say, Lord, I'm going to embrace what you've got for me. Would you would you stand this morning? Amen. I will tell you today in a twofold message that you may think that what you have to offer is not a whole lot, but God may take the very things that you're not and use them to your advantage, brother. Brother, how? Who else could have pulled this off? A left-handed man, dagger on his right thigh. No one thought to pat him down, run him through the metal detector. We're good. And the Lord said, I can take your infirmity. And when they're done, when we're done, I know what the community said about you. I know what they say down at the barber shop about you. I know how they're talking about you at the big table at the restaurant in the mornings. I know what they're saying about you. But when I get through with you, it's going to be written for the ages. You're going to join an elite group that's called one of the deliverers of Israel amen oh amen and so today submit what you don't have to God submit your infirmities to the Lord amen the second part of my message today which you think may think unrelated but I'm going to tell you don't lock the voice of reason out of your life don't rock don't lock the voice of authority out of your life amen oh don't lock that voice don't lock don't don't be eglon to say, you know, I'm gonna lock this protection over here in this room. I'm gonna, I know their servants and I know they'd do anything in their power to save me, but I'm gonna tell you, go away. Just go away, and I'm gonna lock the door behind you. Oh, don't do that to a voice that wants to help you. Don't do that to a voice that cares today. Amen. I wonder if we could just pray together as a family. Amen. Would you let the Spirit of God join us at the front if you'd like? If